Good morning. Welcome on this uh, beautiful, amazing summer morning. My name is uh, Ben Lenander, pastor here at Soda Church. We are finishing the last commandments in our Ten Commandments series. So today we're looking at the Tenth Commandment, which is do not covet. Do not covet. Coveting happens when uh, someone really wants something and uh, wants that thing that somebody else has. Okay, so it relates to a desire, um, a desire for something. And most often this happens in our hearts. As we look around, we look around, we're like, oh, I want that, I want that, I like that. And it's this desire. Now, sometimes it can lead to action and uh, breaking other commandments that are listed in the Ten Commandments, like uh, do not commit adultery or do not steal. Now, let me give you an example. In 2019, at a Carolina Hurricanes hockey game, right after the game, there's a crowd of people standing around in the arena, and one guy was holding a waffle cone, ice cream cone, okay, and talking with a, a friend. And there was a guy standing behind him looking at that ice cream cone. And then, um, you know, he's, you can just see. He's like, man. I want, I want to, I want that ice cream cone. I want a taste of that ice cream cone. I want a bite of that ice cream cone. And so this coveting welled up within him, and he, had, he you could see he had a deep desire. Most people would just go, they're like, oh, ice cream, yeah, I'll go to the vendor and I'll go buy an ice cream cone, right? But this ice cream cone was there, and it was in one of those holders, you know, that has the drip protection, whatever. So this guy allowed his covetousness to turn into action, and he proceeded to grab the ice cream cone, take a big bite, and then he tried to put it back in the holder, but by then the guy had noticed that, wait, wait where's my ice cream cone? And so then he just turns and walks off and steals the guy's ice cream. Now, how do we know this happened? We have video proof, and I have the clip here. So Fox Sports was taping a game segment, post-game segment. They managed to catch it on camera, and we will see it right now. One thing's for sure, you never know what you'll see on live TV. Yeah, people who stuck around and watched the Carolina Hurricanes post-game show last night witnessed a cold crime play out. Watch the guy there in the white jacket. Yoink! Grabs the other guy's ice cream cone, then takes a lick. We are living in a society, people! The thief tried to put it back, but the other guy turned around quickly and was up to the hijinks, so the fan made his getaway through the crowd with the ice cream. Whoops. Busted. Probably cost $15. Right? I mean, that's crazy, right? Uh, you know, and just as crazy as that is, though, there are all kinds of things that and desires that well up within us that are crazy, and we covet things that we don't have. We, we can look at things that our friends or neighbors or coworkers have, and we want them. Uh, we desire what they have, and, and some things that we desire are just kind of crazy in the moment, right? Uh, things like ice cream. And I witnessed this uh, recently. We went to Disney, and I, re I witnessed this all over the place. Um, and, and Disney, they've got it down to a science for capitalizing on these desires. But you know, you're walking around the park, and you see these crazy hats, you know, big goofy ears, or I saw this one hat, and it's had this 
Disney bird, you know, like on top of this baseball hat. And it's like, it's just crazy, you know. So, so people are wearing all these hats and they see people wearing the hats and like, oh, that I want that hat because we're in Disney, right? So then they shell out 25 bucks to wear this hat. And then if I showed up on Sunday morning here wearing that hat, you guys would think I'm crazy, right? Like, why are you wearing a hat with this giant bird sticking out of it? You know, so they've got this down to a science, but they're capitalizing on people looking around going, oh, I want that. And they buy it and they will only wear it while in the park. Coveting happens in our hearts all the time. It's the 10th command. It's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. So we'll go there here, but first let's pray. Lord, we do come to you this morning. We ask you to speak to us. We ask you to um, help us as we uh, learn to deal with the coveting that we have in our own hearts. Uh, be with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Exodus chapter 20, verse 17 says, do not covet your neighbor's house, do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servants, his ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So this command comes with some examples. Uh, many of these commands, it's just the command, do not steal, do not kill, the things like that. But this one gives us some examples of what he's talking about. Um, Examples of a house, a wife, the servants, the animals that your neighbor has, those kinds of things. And so today we could also include in this modern day list cars, uh, your neighbor's landscaping, the pool that they have in their backyard, um, tools that your neighbor has, interior decorations or art, those kinds of things, right? So don't covet the stuff. Anything that belongs to your neighbors. And as we've done throughout this series, we immediately asked the question, okay, why? What is at the heart of the matter? What is the heart issue that's going on here? And we've seen all of these commands relate to the heart. And it's a matter of our relationship with God and our relationship with people. Uh, they, they, when we covet, when we desire these things that we don't have but that someone else has, it is related to our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And we're not acting in love towards God or acting in love towards our neighbor. When, when the command is, is summarized, these Ten Commandments are summarized by Jesus in the New Testament. He says, they're summarized by love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So when we covet, we're not doing that. We're not loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're not loving our neighbors as ourselves, and we will see that. The first thing that we see is coveting happens when we're not content with what we have. Okay, so if you're content, if you're satisfied, you don't gaze around, you don't look around, you don't look at what others have and say, oh, I want that. There's no need to because you're satisfied, you're content, you're happy. It's, you know, it's fine. And let me give you an illustration. Um, in, in 2008, I, I had a truck, the economy went bad, gas went $4 a gallon. It was not good to fill up that truck. It got like 10 or less miles to a gallon. So it was like tons of money to fill up every week or two. So I got rid of it, and I got a small Toyota Corolla instead. And, you know, it wasn't a very exciting car, but it was very practical. It was great, and, you know, it was fine. 
And so for 12 years, I drove that thing around and I, you know, I, I missed having a truck. I wanted to have a truck, but I had a tan Toyota Corolla. And for a long time, that was fine. But then I kind of realized, oh, hey, when my kids get old enough to drive, that's when I can get a truck again, right? And so, um, and so as that day approached, this desire welled up, right? Because I'm like, oh yeah, now I can get a truck. And so all of a sudden, um, I was looking around everywhere and I noticed every truck on the road and I noticed every truck in my neighborhood. And I was like, oh, I like that one. I like this, you know, and, and it's like this, this, uh, this desire. Uh, I, I wasn't satisfied with my boring accounting accountant car, right? Uh, and I wanted this truck again. Did I absolutely need a truck? No. Did I want one? Yes. And so that, that just turned into noticing and seeing everything around me because I was no longer satisfied with what I had. So when we're not content with what we have, we begin to covet. Paul says in Philippians 4, he learned the secret of being content in any situation, whether he had much or they had little. First uh, Timothy 6 says, says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. It is so good for us and for, for us to be content with what we have. There's great gain when we're content. And if we're not content, it leads to coveting. Hebrews 13.5 To keep your life free from the love of money, be satisfied with what you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Therefore, you, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And so if you find yourself coveting, you find yourself looking around and desiring the, the stuff that other people have, it's an indication that at your heart level, you're not content or you're not satisfied with what you have. If you're satisfied and content, you're not going to be looking around desiring those specific things. Think about it. <clears throat> this is America, right? And there is always something bigger. There's always something more fancy. There's always something more expensive. There's always something that you can get that has more bells and whistles than what you have right now, right? I mean, that's the way it is. You know, you, people make products because then they'll buy them. And so we're surrounded by the opportunity to desire more, bigger, whatever. But if you're satisfied with your tablet, you're not going to be looking at your and coveting your, your neighbor's brand new iPad Pro Max, whatever they're called, right? If you're, if you're not content, you'll be looking around and you'll be like, yeah, I want one of those. If you are content, you're not even going to be thinking about it. You're like, oh, great. I'm glad you got, you know, that, that, that is, is something cool for you. So coveting is an indication that, uh, that you're not satisfied with what you have. Coveting also happens when we value what our neighbor has more than we value our neighbor themselves. Okay, we, you know, when Jesus said that summary of the Ten Commandments is love God, with everything you got, love your neighbor as yourself. Coveting indicates that you are saying, you know what? I want your thing. I want your car more than I care about you. I love that stuff more than I love the neighbor. 
It's, it's similar but different than envy. Okay, so if you're envious of your neighbor, envy happens when we're upset or angry because of what our neighbor has. We're, we're upset with them because of what they have. So we want what they have. That's the coveting piece. And then we're envious. We're angry at them and upset with them because of it. I like how Joe Rigney um, describes this. Covetous wants what the other guy has. Envy is angry that he's got it. Covetousness is oriented towards your neighbor's possessions. Envy towards the man himself. You see the difference there? So coveting shows that we think that the stuff is more important than our friend, than our coworker, than our neighbor, than our family member. If we really cared for our neighbor, we'd be happy with them that they got this new minivan, right? If we really loved our neighbor, we'd be super excited that they had this, got this new boat or this riding lawnmower that may cost more than you have saved in your college kids or your kids' college education fund, right? But you'd be, you'd be happy for your neighbor rather as opposed to like, oh, I want what that they just got. James 3 says, if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast or, and deny the truth. Such wisdom doesn't come from above, but it's earthly, spiritual, and demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. That envy, that, that coveting, it's, it's not good, it's not healthy, and it demonstrates that you're loving the stuff more than the people. You're caring more about their car than you are caring about them, okay? And then coveting also happens when we idolize. Colossians 3, 5, But put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. We are making an idol out of the, the stuff. We're elevating the stuff to be above God. We're desiring those things and thinking that those things will make us happy. Those things will satisfy us more than God will or more than what he's already provided us, right? We believe that, hey, I would be happier if I had that thing that my neighbor has. God, I don't like that you've only given us this. I don't like that I only have this, Lord. I want that. So similar to loving stuff more than loving our neighbor, coveting happens. We're loving stuff more than we're loving God. We're exchanging that love for God for a love for stuff and worldly goods. So what does this all mean? What this means, at least it does for me, is that I covet a whole lot more. We covet a whole lot more than we thought we did when you walked in the room and sat down and I said the words, do not covet, right? It happens all the time in our hearts. And, and Jesus, just like he does with many of the other commandments, he expands and provides some application and how-to for us on how to deal with that, with that fact. How do we deal with the fact that we covet all the time? How do we not covet? Jesus gives us some practical examples and, and instruction in Luke chapter 12. So turn to Luke chapter 12 with me. And we're going to go through a story and a parable from Jesus 
to, when he talks and addresses coveting. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Okay, so, so this, this starts out kind of weird, kind of awkward. Jesus is in the crowd with people, and somebody yells out. And he yells out this very personal situation that happened with his family. And uh, like, whoa. You know, somehow, some way, this guy either got cut out of the will or he felt like he didn't get his fair share on this inheritance. And his brother got more than he got or got it all or whatever. Um, and so, so he yells out, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to give me and divide the inheritance. Um, and Jesus here, he says to him, he's like, you know, I don't know the details. I don't know what's going on with this situation. And I, I'm not the judge. But then what Jesus does is he goes to the heart of the issue. He addresses the man uh, and, and the heart of the situation, which is that this guy is coveting. So Jesus said, I don't know the details. I'm not the estate lawyer here. But, verse 15, Jesus said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So there's several things just in this phrase that Jesus says here that we can see. The first is that we need to be alert. As we are, have come to experience this morning, when we realize we're coveting, we need to be alert and watchful so we can guard against it. But then he shares a bit more on the practical application and he says here that life is more than stuff. Life indeed is more than the stuff that we're coveting. Possessions break down, cars wear out, couches crumble, houses fall apart, clothes get holes, right? Life is not about those things. Jesus says life is not about those things. Life is short. When you look at eternity and you look at this life, what is, what is 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years or less, right? What is 40 years, 30 years, 20 years? It is just a tiny little blip when you look at all of eternity and you look at thousands and tens of thousands and millions of years. This life is nothing. It is a little tiny blip. And Jesus goes on to talk about that its life is more than just this stuff. And he really shares here, starting in verse 16, of what it's all about. And he does so by giving a parable, giving a story, giving an illustration to show us. So Jesus told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And, he, and this man thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And then I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your very soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich. The word's gone. So Jesus then gives an illustration to show how 
worthless, really, the things of this world and the stuff of this world is. This guy, he had done well. He had an abundance. He had all these crops. In fact, he had so many crops that he ran out of space in his storage bins. And so he's like, I'm going to build some more. So then I've got all of this stuff, and I can just take it easy, right? I can, what does he say? I can relax. I can uh, eat, drink, be merry, have a good time. He wanted to retire early is essentially what he's saying. So he assumed, you know what, I'm set because I can have, I can have the most fulfilling life possible by doing those things, relaxing, eating, drinking, retiring early, having a good time. That sound familiar to you? Maybe in our culture here in America today, it might be called something like the American dream. Retire early, have an abundance of, of money, get whatever you want, eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want, have a good time, right? Relax. Jesus is addressing this, this, uh, this mindset and concept that that's what is the fulfilling thing in life. Those things won't fulfill. And in fact, this guy was going to die that very night and all that stuff that he worked for and the stuff he was storing, I mean, he's going to somebody else. This life is not about the stuff. It's not about gaining wealth so you can retire early and take it easy and have everything you want. No, those things will go away. Those things will be gone. And when you die and you pass from this life, you can't take any of those things with you. What you can take, though, is the treasure that you store up in heaven. And so Jesus goes on to say to his disciples, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about this life, what you'll eat, what you drink, what you buy, what you put on. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. And then he gives an illustration of the animals. Look at the animals, the birds. They don't worry about this stuff. And he talks about the flowers. Don't worry, they, they are clothed in glory. And they're here today and gone tomorrow. And if God takes care of those things, he'll take care of you. So why be anxious about the rest? But if God clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you're to eat, what you're to drink, or to be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. Everybody, the entire world, goes after these things, the stuff. But your Father knows, and He will provide what you need. Instead, here's what the culmination of the whole story, from the man asking about the inheritance, to Jesus exposing the covetousness, to Him sharing this parable, it all leads to this Next verse in this point that Jesus is putting forth, which is instead, seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. That's what it's about. Jesus' life is more than food and clothes. And, and he demonstrates how creation itself is shows that and gives us that picture that it's not about those things. It's not about the clothes and the stuff and the money and the relaxing and the eating and the drinking. It's about what's to come. It's about eternity. God provides us what we need. And so Jesus here gives us a very practical command. If you find yourselves coveting, if you find yourselves consumed with the stuff, wanting the stuff that you see around you, what do you do instead of coveting, instead of being anxious about that, instead of trying to stockpile, 
Instead of looking around at your neighbors and friends and family and co-workers, instead seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Instead, seek satisfaction in him, not in the stuff. The stuff will always leave you wanting more. But when you go after him, when you seek God, when you live for his kingdom and his glory, when you seek him, he will satisfy and you will be building up eternal treasure, which is what really matters. So the command to us is do not covet, but how do we do that? How do we carry that out? We do so by going to the gospel, by going to Christ. The way to not covet is to be satisfied in Christ. So that's the application. Pursue satisfaction in Christ and in Christ alone. Jesus here is saying, desire the true wealth, the treasure in heaven, seek and long for God's kingdom and his and the eternal possessions, not the earthly ones. The way to be free from the love of worldly possessions is to love something greater, something better, something more satisfying, which is Jesus Christ. Go after him with all that you've got. I love Psalm 73, and I encourage you later this, either today or later this week, to read Psalm 73 because it shows how the psalmist went through this very cycle. First, the psalmist was looking around at all of the good stuff, the, the, the stuff that the wicked had, and they were wealthy, and they had all the stuff, and, they were in, and the psalmist became envious of them. Then the psalmist turns their perspective on the Lord, and God changes and transforms them. You see this verse 2 here, 2 and 3, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He, he, he then goes on to describe, you know, they had, they had possessions, food, wealth, the good life. And he asks himself some questions. Have I pursued the Lord in vain? Is this all for naught? Why am I suffering when the wicked are thriving? And then in verse 16, he switches his perspective. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God and then I discerned there. And then I got an eternal perspective. I went to God, I pursued God, I saw God, and then he revealed to me, oh, the worthlessness of those things. They are going to die. They're going to pass. Those things are going to burn. And they're worthless. And so the psalmist's perspective then switches in the remaining part of the psalm. The psalmist is encouraged and refreshed and joyful as they've turned their focus on God. And they finish in the psalm by saying, Whom have I in heaven and but you? And there's nothing on this earth that I desire except you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What a change in perspective from going to focusing on the stuff and the wealth and the blessing of the wicked. Like, oh, they got all this stuff. They turn their focus on God. God changed their perspective. And then by the end of that focus on the Lord being satisfied in them, they're like, oh, it is so good to be with you, Lord. It is so good to be filled with you. I have all that I need. Uh, and you are the strength of my life and desire nothing else but you on this earth. That's a picture for us of running to Christ and being satisfied with him. It's a picture of the gospel. 
And so as we find ourselves looking around, as you find yourself coveting something that somebody else has, instead turn your eyes to the Lord, focus on him, go after him with all that you've got, and you will be satisfied in him. I want to end this morning with a verse from a song that we sometimes sing, or it's an older song, we don't sing it anymore. But it's called, Turn Your Eyes to Jesus. And here is one of the verse, verses, and I love this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Jesus, we do come to you. We do thank you that you satisfy. We thank you that you gave your life for us that we can come to you and to know you and to be filled with you and to be satisfied in you. Help us. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen.